Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Vision, in which we look at visions in the Bible in order to discern God's vision for different areas of our lives. Here is Pastor Nick. Amen. Welcome to Whitefields Community Church. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning to worship the Lord in music and to study His Word. Please open with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're not sure where 2 Corinthians is, it's conveniently located just to the right of 1 Corinthians, so you should be able to find it based on that. For the past four weeks, we've been doing a series here at Whitefields on the topic of vision. We don't usually do a lot of uh, topical series here at Whitefields. For the most part, we like to study through books of the Bible, and we like to do it verse by verse, but um, we took, you know, we just said, this is the beginning of a new year, and we want to at the beginning of this year, take some time to look at what the Bible says on the topic of vision. And as we're doing that, our goal is to align our hearts and align our minds, both as individuals and a church, with God's vision for a couple specific areas. So the the areas we've looked at so far, we looked at God's vision for our future. We looked at God's vision for our city. We looked at God's vision for your situation. Last week, you guys looked at God's vision for the church. And today, in our final segment, we're going to be looking at God's vision for others. So developing God's vision for others. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, Hey, you know, if you've been blessed by any of these messages, I just want to encourage you. uh, Our podcast is free. All of our messages are available on our website. And what I would love is if you've been blessed by something, uh, share that with others. You know, share those messages with others. Send them a link. That way, what's happening in here that God's doing can actually get out of these walls and into other people. It's also just a great tool. You know, if you've got somebody and you say, oh, you know, uh, there was something in this message, but by sending them that message, maybe they get to listen to a lot of other things that would be beneficial for them as well. So it's a great, almost evangelistic tool as well. So today we're finishing up our vision series with this message titled, A Vision for Others. And I'll begin by reading our text and then we'll pray. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and it is a treasure to us. Lord, help us that we would treasure it in our hearts, in our ears, in our minds as we study it today. Lord, may your living word speak to us your living message, and may we be receptive to it, Lord. We ask that you would give us the enlightenment of our hearts by the power of your spirit as we study your word. Lord, apply these things to our lives. Help us to live them out. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So... The three things, here's, our, here's your outline for today. There are three things that this text brings to our attention in regard to developing God's vision for other people. Number one, the natural way of regarding people. Number two, a new way of regarding people. And number three, regarding him who regarded you. So that's going to be our outline. So let's start off by looking at the natural way of regarding people. Let me ask you this. What would you call a person who hides from their problems? 
Maybe, you don't have to answer that out loud, right? but uh, has that, uh, maybe that's been you at some point in your life. You've been that person who hides from your problems, who avoids things that are hard and difficult. So what would you call somebody who hides from hard things, who avoids people and things that they're afraid of? Well, you might not use some very friendly terms, would you? You might use words like coward. You might use words like weak. Well, in the book of Judges, chapter 6, we meet somebody like that. We meet somebody who, at that very moment, is hiding, scared, avoiding the problems in his life, not being very courageous, let's put it that way. And his name is Gideon. And the first time we meet him, here's what it says in Judges, chapter 6. Feel free to read that section as I'm talking to you about it. But here's what happens. It says that Gideon was there, and he was threshing wheat in a wine press threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, you might just read over that and say, okay, cool, next, right? But and this is why it doesn't stick out to us, because most of us don't usually thresh our own wheat. Maybe you do, and if you do, then you know that a wine press is a weird place to do that. Most of us also don't have wine presses, right? But here's why this is a weird thing. It's not normal to thresh wheat in a wine press, because a wine press is essentially like a hole, a pit in the ground that's probably, you know, 15, 20 feet deep, and it's going to be round, this is where, you know, you're pressing your wine in that place, but it's not a good place to thresh wheat. So the, the whole point of threshing wheat, right, it has a husk on it, and as you thresh it, what you do is you throw it up in the air, and as it falls back down to the ground, the wind kind of carries away the chaff, which is lighter, and the heavier grain falls to the earth. So you got to separate the wheat from the chaff, and so the way you would do this is by, you know, grabbing big chunks of it, throwing it up in the air. Now, you would need to do that, though, above ground, you would never do that below ground because if you do it below ground, there's no wind to carry off the chaff. So it's kind of a, you know, practice in futility. And so being in a wine press is a really strange place to be threshing grain. You usually want to do that like on a hilltop or at least above ground in some way. So here's Gideon. What is he doing? Why is he in, in a pit in the ground, in a hole in the ground, trying to thresh his wheat? Well, the answer is that Gideon is hiding. He is scared and he's hiding from who? From the Midianites. Now, the Midianites were a local tribe at that time who had gotten very powerful. And they were kind of oppressing and harassing, and you might just simply say bullying the people of Israel. The Midianites, you know, they were bigger and they were stronger than the Israelites, and they were bullies. Uh, rather than let the Israelites live in peace, they would harass them. Right? They wouldn't totally conquer them. They would just kind of mess with them all the time. It says there at the beginning of Judges 6 that the Midianites, you know, would come into the Israelite villages and, and like kind of ransack their houses. So the Israelites move up into the caves which are around the Dead Sea there. So they're living in caves and uh, they've been forced out of their villages. And the Midianites would also do this thing, we read, where they would wait for the Israelites to plant crops. And they would let them do it. They'd let them till up the ground plant the seeds, and then for months, right, water the seeds, tend to their crops, and then when it came time to harvest it, they'd let the Israelites harvest all the, all the produce, and then they'd come over and be like, give us all your produce, right? So you just put in months of work, and these guys show up, and they take your produce from you, right? So they're like, they're like the kids at school who, you know, beat somebody up and take their lunch money, and they do it every single time. And so here's Gideon, and he's got a little bit of wheat that these uh, Midianites haven't found yet, so he says, I know what I'll do. I'll hide in this pit, and I'll try and separate this wheat, and so, I, so they don't see me, so they don't catch me, right? So what is he doing? He's, he's not being very courageous at this moment. He's kind of hiding. He's scared. He's afraid. He's weak. He's avoiding confrontation. He's not acting valiantly, you might say. 
And while Gideon is down in this pit, it says that the angel of the Lord, by the way, the word angel just simply means messenger. So this messenger from God shows up and speaks to him. And here's what the angel says. He says to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Mighty man of valor? Like Gideon must have been confused, right? Like looking over his shoulder, like who, who, is there someone else down in this wine press that you're talking to? You're certainly not talking to me. Like you must have the wrong guy. You must have the wrong address, right? Like you, they wrote down the wrong address for you on a piece of paper and you ended up here. Because right now Gideon is the opposite of mighty and courageous. He's like weak and fearful. And yet God looks at Gideon and he speaks this title over him. He says, Gideon, I'm looking at you. And I'm seeing something in you, about you, that other people don't see. That even you yourself don't see, Gideon. God is calling Gideon to live into this identity that God sees in him and speaks over him. And what we see from this is that apparently God has a different way of evaluating people than we do. God has a different way of evaluating people than we do. Apparently, God uses different criteria in order to assess people than the criteria we tend to use. When God looks at people, he sees them differently than when we look at people. See, and, and we see this kind of theme that runs throughout the Bible. That God says things about people where you look at that person and you're like, are you sure? Right, so like later on in Israel's history, the people of Israel get their first king. They've always wanted a king. They finally get one. His name's Saul, and he's awesome, right? He's like the quintessential born leader. He's like 6'5", right? He's tall, he's handsome, he's kingly in appearance. He's the kind of leader that you could be proud of. He's from a wealthy family. Outwardly, he's really like the perfect king. But God rejects Saul and chooses another man to be king instead. That man's name is David. Now, David is somebody that probably nobody would ever choose to be king. He's just not on anybody's radar, right? He doesn't look like a king. He doesn't come from a royal background. In fact, just the opposite. He was a shepherd and the son of a shepherd, which at that time, right, shepherds were considered kind of the lowest of the low. They were despised, looked down upon. It was a dirty, dangerous, low-paying job. Most families who owned sheep would hire people to take care of their sheep for them. But of course, David comes from a family where they're the people who get hired. They're, they're not a wealthy family. He's not nobility. He's not even the firstborn son in his own family. He's the youngest child in the family. This man, David, the Bible describes his appearance. It tells us that he was ruddy, which means like red hair and freckles, right? He's short, red hair and freckles probably. And God looks at David and God sees something in David that other people don't see when they look at David. God looks at David and says, he is a man after my own heart. You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30 and 11 a.m. We have implemented procedures to ensure your safety as we gather for worship and studying God's Word. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person at 8, 9.30 and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. Here's, here's how God explains it later on. When he explains his, him rejecting Saul and choosing David, he says, For the Lord sees, not as man sees, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Again, the idea here is this, that God has a different way of evaluating people. He uses different criteria in order to judge people than the criteria we tend to use. 
And let's just think through that. I mean, what are some of the criteria that people generally use when it comes to evaluating or categorizing people? Well, one common way, right, is political affiliation, isn't it, right? So, you know, we'll talk about people in these broad categories, liberals and conservatives, you know, and you hear people, depending on what side you're on, talk about those guys, right? Those liberals think like this, or those conservatives want this. And what happens is you're, you're essentially reducing, right, over 300 million people in our population into two groups of people and acting as if they're monolithic, right? Those liberals are like this. Those conservatives are like this. The other thing that happens is that when you take one of those labels upon yourself, what you're saying, right, when you say I'm liberal or I'm conservative, it leads to tribalism. It's us versus them type of thinking where you make a lot of assumptions. And what happens in tribalism is this. You tend to assume that people in your tribe, right, you give them the benefit of the doubt. You tend to think the best and assume the best about them. But people in the other tribe, you do just the opposite. You assume bad motives upon them. Now, why do we do this? Why do we like to categorize people in this way? Well, I think the real reason, the simple reason, is because it's very easy. It's very convenient. It's very comfortable. Because it gives you the semblance that you know somebody, and you know exactly what they're thinking and what they're feeling without actually having to get to know them, right? And so it makes life easy, so to say. But it's, it's a kind of cheap thing to do. So you can write people off. You can judge them. You can make determinations about their character based on that label that you give them. We do it with uh, lots of things, right? We do it with like generations, right? Like, oh, those darn millennials and their avocado toast and their ripped jeans, right? Ruining the world. And then the millennials are like, you know, okay, boomer, right? So, of course, when you, when you think about it, uh, it's ridiculous to think that you can reduce people, or hundreds of millions of people at that, to categories and then assume that you know them and assume that you know their motives. Um, again, when we do this, it's kind of like a cheap but comfortable way to make ourselves feel good by looking down on other people and saying, I'm glad I'm not one of them. You know, everyone in this world is looking for an identity. Everyone in the world is asking a question, who am I? And at the root of that question, who am I, is another question. There's an underlying question about value. The question is one about value. What gives my life purpose and meaning and value? What is it that makes me significant? What is it about me that would give other people a reason to love me and accept me and want me? That's what's at the core of this question of identity, is a question of value, a question of what makes me unique and what would give someone a reason to love me. And many people, they seek to build their identity and find their value and their worth and their significance in this way by contrasting themselves with other people. That's why we like to categorize people in this way, right? This is, this is the kind of thing that leads to racism, at least to sectarian thinking, all of these kind of things, right? But here's why. Because you're building your identity, you're finding your value and worth on the idea that you are somehow better than other people. And what you're telling yourself is, as long as I'm better than that person or those people, then I can feel good about myself. Then there's a reason why people should love me and accept me. Um, but of course, doing that requires you to look down on and exclude others, right? So you're building an identity at the expense of somebody else's identity. Another way that we tend to categorize people is based on appearance, right? So this includes things like economics and race and age, of course, as well, right? There have been a lot of psychological studies done on this that show how differently 
people tend to treat others based on appearance. I was listening to one that was about um, how long it takes for people to honk at somebody at a stoplight, a stoplight depending on the kind of car that they're driving. Right? There's a, there's a ton of this that goes into our psychology about how we're geared to treat people differently based on appearances. Another key way that we uh, tend to categorize people or um, you know regard people is in according to vocation and function. Vocation and functions. You know, I think as Westerners we tend to be functionalists. You know, a functionalist basically means this, that we equate someone's value with that person's function, right? So we we equate their value with their function. Basically, you are what you do, and what you do determines your value. That's why in our culture, this is one of the first things we ask somebody. We ask their name, and then immediately we want to know, what do you do? Because we want to make some sort of uh, judgment about them based on the job that they currently have. And and we do that, right? We make certain judgments, certain value uh, assertions based on those things. But this kind of thinking, right, it reduces someone. I would say it retracts from their humanity. It's not fair, because what we're doing is we're reducing someone to the function that they perform in society, and that has all kinds of negative effects, right? This kind of functionalist thinking was completely embraced by the Third Reich in Nazi Germany. I just came from Austria, which is the land of the sound of music, but it's also the land of Hitler. And, uh, And, you know, just thinking about this, that with Hitler, part of his ideology was that a person's value depends on their ability to contribute to society. Your value is equated with your ability to contribute to society. And, you know, initially people loved Hitler and the programs that he was doing because Hitler went after the lazy people and and he went after the rich and the bankers and the merchants who, by the way, were mostly Jewish, who worked very little because they made money off of their investments. And so the working class people loved this, right? They're like, yeah, those people, you know, they shouldn't, we're the ones doing all the work. And then Hitler went after people who were on welfare, right? And he actually had a term for them. And, And the working class people loved this because they looked at Hitler and they said, this guy's like Robin Hood, right? Like he's taken on the fat cats, the bureaucrats, the entitled, the people on welfare who are just a drain on our society. And they thought he was a hero. But of course, then it progressed from there because that's where this functionalist thinking leads you. What about people who can't contribute because they're handicapped? What about people who can't contribute because they're elderly? What about people who have mental illnesses, right? They contribute less than they take. And Hitler had a term for them. He called them useless eaters, Think about that. And they were actually the first to be killed in the extermination camps before even the Jews. Useless eaters, people who he felt gave, had no function in society. He believed that life had less value if you didn't contribute, right? So your, your value is based on your function. And that's where this functionalist thinking naturally leads. This is kind of the end result of this that says that a person's value depends on how they function or perform. I was thinking, you know, what if you applied this to your wife, right? Like, what if I applied this to my wife? I said, hey, here's my wife. Uh, Let me tell you what's special about her. She is a dishwasher. She is a clothes washer. She is a child transporter. She is a food preparer. I don't think she would really like that very much, right? That wouldn't really minister to her heart. Because she would say, those are things that I do, but that's not who I am, right? That's not the essence of who I am. That's just things that I do during the week. See, if you categorize people and make value assumptions based on their function, here's what will happen. You will inevitably overvalue some people and undervalue other people. 
And that's true of all of these categories that I mentioned of ways that we often do this, right? Politics, appearance, function, essentially all these categories. By associating this with someone's identity, what you're doing is, in a way, it's dehumanizing, and it's not really fair. You're reducing a person to something less than what they really are by making a determination about them based on some outward factor, like the color of their skin or their current job or the opinions that they hold about certain issues. See, one of the things that um, psychologists have discussed is that when you label people, labeling people is very powerful and, and really detrimental depending on the label. It can also be very positive depending on the label. So what happens though when you label somebody is that that label that you gave that person then begins to affect your perception of that person, right? And, and that's true of yourself as well and how you label yourself. For example, if you label yourself and say, I'm just stupid, Right? If you label yourself, here's what will happen. There will be things that happen in your life that confirm that label, right? That seem to line up with that. And you say, yes, there it is. There's the proof that I'm stupid because I did this. But when you do something that, is, that doesn't align with that label, you'll tend to ignore that thing and push it away and say, no, 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 that was just an anomaly, right? And so this is true of lots of things. If you label somebody a certain way uh, or a group of people as being like this, then what will happen is that you will see those things that align with your label or your stereotype, and that will affirm your belief. And when you see things that don't align with it, you'll, you'll ignore that and say, well, that's just an anomaly. You know, that's just a one-off. Yeah, every, you know, every rule has exceptions. So one of the most important questions we can ask is this. What labels does God put on us? What labels does God put on people? How does he see me? Who does he say that I am? Those labels are really important in this case. Who does he say that other people are? How should I view them? What's the lens through which I should see them? Now just think about that idea of labels. Now think back with me to Gideon and David and think about how this applies. Gideon in this moment is not acting valiantly. He's not, right? But God speaks into his life and slaps a label on him. And the label is a positive one, right? It's Gideon, this is who you really are. You are a mighty man of valor. Maybe you're not acting like it right now, but this is an anomaly. This is not who you really are at core. This is God calling him into his greater identity. He says who you are is a man of valor, right? And that becomes the label, which then defines how Gideon's gonna think about himself from now on. It defines how we think about Gideon. With David, God slaps a label on this guy too and says, David, you're a man after my own heart. Now, there are times later on in David's life, which you probably know about in his life, where he sinned greatly. He did not act like a man after God's own heart in those instances. But because of that label that God put on him, we read it. when we read those stories about those times, we conclude, well, those must have just been anomalies. Those weren't who David really was because we know that at core, David was a man after God's own heart. And so the question is this, what are the labels that God would put on you? What are the labels that God puts on others that he wants to be the lens through which you see those people? Paul the Apostle addresses this issue in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in the text that we read here at the beginning just a minute ago. And he says this, I am going to make a determination. And that determination is this, from now on, I will regard no one, I will not regard anyone according to the flesh. What Paul is encouraging us to do is to not think about people based on the categories of this world, the categories that this culture tends to tell us. These are the categories that people fall into and, and 
telling us not to label people with the categories of this world. Instead, he says, I want you to label people. I want you to categorize people based on the categories that I give them and put on them and yourself as well. So let's talk about what those are. And that brings us to our second point, which is a new way of regarding people, a new way of regarding people. So if we don't regard people according to the flesh, then what is the other alternative to doing that? Well, Paul tells us in verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says the alternative is to regard people according to their spiritual condition. Their spiritual condition. Verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. But let's think about that conversely. What's the converse of that? The converse of that is this. If anyone is not in Christ, then they are not made new, and the old has not passed away. Okay, what is the old that Paul is talking about in that case? The old in that case is our fallen nature. It's our, it's our natural condition. In Romans, uh, his letter to the Romans, Paul refers to this as the old man and the natural man. It's who we are by nature according to our fallen condition. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live-streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.